children occupied a very uh, precarious position in Hellenistic society of the first century. Uh, sometimes children were loved and sometimes children were exploited, depending on how they were perceived as a benefit to the family. For example, a papyrus letter written by a man named Hilarion to his expectant wife Alice, dated June 17th, 1 BC, instructs her that if she is to have a male child, that she is to let it live. But if she is to have a female, that she's to cast it out. A practice of infanticide was severely attacked by the Christian church in the first and second century. It wasn't until the, the third century that Rome even created a law that it was, it was against the law to kill children. Children were not presumed to be a blessing in a non-Christian culture like that of Jesus' day. B.B. Uh, Warfield once said, Children owned as much, owe as much to the gospel as womanhood. What happened there when Jesus came was to radically redefine people's view of children. In a, in a 21st century mind, we, we tend to have a very romanticized view of children. What that means is, is that we tend to think over and above as a society that children are good. Uh, we naturally don't uh, speak ill of children. We, we find them as a blessing. But we do see a shift in our culture back to what you would see in this Hellenistic culture. That is, children are, are not so much as widely as accepted. Among millennials, you'll find many who don't have children. They see children as rather just a waste of time or a distraction from their pursuits of job or, or pursuing their wife. They see children as really just nothing that great or important, something that sucks more money out of their bank account. But as we consider what Jesus is doing in our passage today, it is something somewhat foreign to us if we don't kind of slip on our shoes and, and take a trek back to the first century. So this morning, if you uh, have the 21st century lenses on as you think about this passage, well, you'll be very confused as to what Jesus is actually teaching. Uh, Jesus isn't teaching us, for example, this morning, that we're to have this sort of romanticized view of children. Rather, what we see Jesus doing here is radically redefining the way the church would think about children. If Jesus had not taught this verse well, the world we live in today may look entirely different. Because Jesus transforms an entire generation in the first century to think about children in a different way. He elevates them to a different status in life and uses them as an illustration to teach us and to teach his disciples what faith looks like. Now, we've been considering in Mark's gospel sort of a section in here in chapter 10 where Jesus is kind of making his descent into Jerusalem. Uh, the gospel has been building uh, to really Jesus' triumphal entry in chapter 11. And so we've been really building to that climactic point in the gospel where we know that Jesus will be arrested, tried, convicted, murdered, and then raised again. What we have here in Mark 10 is Jesus' instruction about really the essentials of life. Last week, we considered in our text about marriage. And really, quite naturally, he follows children 
behind marriage. And then finally, next week, we'll consider possessions. Those are really big, sort of the three big things in life, marriage, children, and possessions. And Jesus gives attention to them this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. I love, y'all are already there. I don't even hear a page turning. Well, I hope you have God's word open because I'm about to read. Page page 13, verse 13 of chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he, that is Jesus, might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Brothers and sisters, the point of this passage is that children have an important role in the kingdom of God. They're not only welcomed, but they're also exemplified in the kind of humility and dependent trust in the Lord that mark those who receive the kingdom of God. Jesus not only elevates them, but uses them for us this morning to think about what does it look like to follow Jesus. So remember, those are the two questions Jesus is asking. Who is Jesus? Excuse me, Mark's gospel seeks to answer two questions. Who is Jesus? That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And secondly, what does it mean or look like to follow him? What does it look like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus? And in a culture like our own that has a very messed up, upside down, sort of really confused picture of what Christianity is, wow, this gospel is so refreshing to redefine and encourage us to to define what is biblical Christianity. What does it mean really to follow Jesus of Nazareth? And he uses children to show us. Let's consider here these two points, sort of two, two main points in our sermon this morning. First, Jesus elevates children to a new status in society. And then second, Jesus elevates children to humility and trust as an example for all disciples. So let's consider that first, this sort of first point that Jesus is making here. Jesus elevates children to a new status. Mark tells us that, Jesus, that, that this group of people, we don't really know who they are, it says they, we don't really know, maybe perhaps the crowd, parents, moms, dads, we don't really know for sure who's doing this, but, but his group of people are bringing children to Jesus uh, that he might touch them. Uh, now, we don't want to read anything really extra religious into this. This, wasn't, this was sort of a common practice uh, in the first century. When there was someone like a, a rabbi, uh, someone of a notable figure, you often took your children to them in order to sort of have them bless them or you know, lay their hands, some sort of blessing. We remember that infant mortality rates were high in the first century. Children often did not survive much past, you know, a week or so. That's why the naming of a child was often took a couple days because uh, a lot of times children didn't survive. Also, as I've already mentioned, the culture of the day in most Hellenistic, which is where Mark is writing, remember Mark is writing to Christians in Rome, 
He's not writing to Christians in Jerusalem. He's writing to Christians that are in Rome. And in this culture, there in the Roman culture, they would be hearing this and saying, wow, Jesus really cares about children, whereas what we're hearing on the TV at night is children are no good, don't have them, just leave them outside. Well, if you have a boy, that's a good thing. But if you have a girl, that's a bad thing. Much like we see, uh, have seen in the last decade in China, right? where children that, uh, you know, sort of female children are despised and male children are elevated. Because why? Because they're the ones that, that carry success. They're the ones that are going to carry the family name and be able to support you. They're the ones that are going to have a job. And they're the ones that are going to be able to provide for you in your elderly age. And in this culture, it was the same. Men or male children were elevated. But, and so we don't really know for sure who these individuals were, but they were bringing the children to Jesus that he might touch them. And what we see here is something that is vile and repulsive to Jesus. The disciples rebuke them. Now, in our English translation, it doesn't really, clear, doesn't really clarify who the disciples are rebuking. But when we kind of get under the text a little bit, we begin to see that possibly who the disciples were rebuking were the children. We really don't know, but perhaps, at least, they were rebuking the parents or this, this crowd that was bringing the children. But perhaps they were rebuking the children. What we see here is that the disciples are, are frustrated and upset with these children because they're messing things up. They're messing up. This is grown-up time, kids. This is grown-up time. Jesus has important business to do. He doesn't have time for you right now. He's got to do real ministry, and you're just a distraction to real ministry. The disciples had their own priorities for Jesus. They had decided for Jesus who was in and who was out. Who really needed Jesus and who didn't need Jesus? They were the door, if you will, to these children coming into the kingdom of God. They were the gatekeepers there, if you will, telling these children that you are not welcome in Jesus' presence, that Jesus does not have time for you. What a danger it is to decide who is or isn't worthy of God's time. But what we see here first is that Jesus loves children. We see in this passage first is that Jesus loves children. When Jesus saw it, he became indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Jesus loves children. We don't just sing the silly songs about Jesus loving the children of the world. We sing it because we believe it and it's true. Jesus loves children. He cares for children. Do you ever wonder, I'll, I'll preface this, <laughs> um, when I was prepping this sermon, I really wanted to use a particular word, but I knew that it wouldn't be good to use this word. It's kind of a bad word. Uh, but you know what really makes Jesus mad? You know what really irritates Jesus? You know what really gets under his skin? You know what really frustrates him? You know what really gets his blood boiling? Right here, he tells us, Jesus gets mad. He, he gets really mad. Mark tells us that he becomes indignant. Now this is a very strong word, isn't it? He, 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 is, he, he's, he is fed up. Uh, here, I'm already tempted to say. Uh, he, he, he is mad. Face is red. He's, he's not only sad, he's sickened. This word means both frustrated and kind of sickened. He's sickened by what he sees. 
His jaw is dropping. He's disgusted by his disciples' behavior. Turning away children? What are you doing? He's indignant. He sees what they're doing. And he embraces these children. What we see here is a loving embrace of a Savior, don't we? We we see something so beautiful. Uh, Jesus embraces what is weak and helpless and marginalized by the society at large. Those that that, that are not welcome in the presence of this rabbi, who the disciples have decided really aren't that important and just need to go away. Jesus says, no, you come. These are the exact people who I need. This is the kind of people I want in my life. And then isn't this central to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't we see here a picture of the gospel? That Jesus embracing the weak, that God brings in the weak and the helpless. The ones who haven't just messed up, right? The ones who haven't just screwed up their lives a little bit. The ones who have completely blown their lives to pieces. Those are the ones that God embraces. God isn't after the strong. God isn't after the influencers. God isn't after the difference makers or the world changers. God is after the weak and the helpless. So what we see here, isn't it? We see something about God and His character. That God welcomes the weak. Look, in their society, these children were not welcomed. Much like some of the conversations we hear in our own culture today, how certain people are not welcomed in our presence. We're not welcome here. Reminder, perhaps, of the old Jim Crow laws of the South, where certain people were welcome in certain places because society had decided who was in and who was out. And this is what is happening in Jesus' day. The disciples are deciding who's in and who's out. And Jesus says, no, that is not how things work. Jesus embraces the outcast. What we see, secondly, is that Jesus affirms and respects the personhood and spirituality of children. Jesus does not marginalize children, like pat them on the head and say, oh, those cute little kids, oh, you know, aren't they just so sweet? Jesus embraces them and exemplifies their behavior. In the eyes of the world, these children were insignificant. They hadn't achieved anything great. There wasn't anything to point to in their lives to kind of say, hey, look at them. Look at the success they've made. They were children. The word has a diminutive sense in the little children. Luke's gospel uh, parallel actually uses the word infant. We're not really sure. Perhaps they were some infant-like. This word uh, for child used here can also mean a 13-year-old. So, so it's really just a child. So, so don't think a particular age group. It could be any, any child, anyone, little youngsters, right? And Jesus, those that the society does not welcome, Jesus is welcoming him. And what we see here is Jesus radically redefining who's on his team. Like a game of kickball, the disciples have, have picked the, the strong. And perhaps we would be tempted to do the same thing. I hear it often in church when we think about who we need 
who would really change things. We often think about people who are, who are you know, sort of managers or leaders or, or who, who are wealthy, have money, right? Because, you know, churches need money. And so, well, of course, we need some rich people in here. Boy, that'll fix our problems. All the while, what we're doing is undermining the very nature of God's kingdom. God does not choose who the world sees as influential. As we heard in our scripture reading this morning. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of the children that I have received into this church than I have in the spiritual condition of the adults thus received. I will even go further than that and say that I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love of Christ in the child converts than in the man converts. I will even astonish uh, you to still say more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 and 12 than I have in certain persons of 50 and 60. Oh, friends, is that not the truth? What was true for Spurgeon 200 years ago is true for us today. Oh, how we grow up and mature when what we need to be is childlike. Jesus radically redefines who is welcomed in his kingdom. The important, what we see here is the importance of sharing the gospel who are the least of these in our eyes. Jesus is giving and defining who we're to go after. Yeah, we're to go after children, but, but don't, don't just stop there. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, just focus on kids. Like children's ministry should be the number one thing you do at your church. That's not what he's saying. So that's where we've gotten confused about this passage. What Jesus is saying is go after the marginalized. Go after the helpless. Go after the weak. Go after the orphans and the widows. Go after those whom your society, where you are right now in our society, in our day and age, who are the people who are weak and needy, the ones who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, go to them, welcome them into the kingdom of Christ. And as a congregation, this call is to us. That is, we need to welcome people into our kingdom, into the kingdom of God. We don't need to decide who's in and who's out. Well, you know, that Muslim over there, they're not worthy of hearing the gospel. You know, they're terrorists. That is just untrue, number one. That person is creating an image of God and deserves the saving grace that you have received. Who are you to decide who is in and who is out of the kingdom of God? They need the gospel just as much as we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But perhaps implied is who are you hindering from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or how, perhaps, are you hindering people? Who have you identified in your life as those whom God does not need or have the time for? We do this quite naturally by not sharing the gospel with them. That neighbor, that friend, that co-worker, that family member who is without Christ, and you don't open your mouth to share the gospel, brothers and sisters, we are just like the disciples here. We've decided who is worthy of the gospel and who is unworthy of the gospel. We've played God. We've decided who's in and who's out. And may we be convicted and encouraged here this morning that we need to open our mouths and share the hope to which we have been called. We need to be radically redefining who we're going after. 
We are to call sinners to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When is the last time you've been involved in sharing the gospel? Just opening your mouth and telling people about Jesus. How do we hinder people from coming to Jesus? Perhaps the way you live your life is a hindrance to people. You claim to follow Christ. You claim the name of a Christian. But you live a nominal Christian life. You're just going to name only Christian. All the while, you're sinning. Your unrepentant sin, your unrepentant sin is a distraction and it may be a determent from people coming to faith in Christ. Perhaps it's your own prejudice, thinking that certain people, groups, are not worthy of the gospel. Perhaps it's your judgmentalism, you know, uh, or your legalism. You know, clean yourself up. You gotta, you gotta get, get yourself all cleaned up before you can come to Jesus. You know, if you just stop that, then Jesus would welcome you. Parents, the way we follow Christ, oh, it's the way your children are going to follow Christ. You're shabby in your devotion to Christ, your children are going to be shabby in their devotion to Christ. You wonder why your kids don't go to church? Maybe it's because you don't go to church. The way we follow Jesus is an example to those around us. And we can actually distract people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never decide for Jesus who he has time for. Never decide for Jesus who he has time for. Never say, oh, Jesus doesn't have time for that him or her. There's God we see cares. And we see also here another application about children is the fact that as a church we should have a priority about children. We shouldn't just say, hey, you know, children are important. Ah, oh, we want children, which we often do say. But actually follow that through. And one of the things I'm so thankful for is the many people who volunteer every week, like right now, who are serving. You know, we got like four or five people working right now, not sitting in here listening to the sermon, but are working in children's ministry. Praise God for that. And if you're one of those who, who serves on a, on a weekly basis, monthly basis, praise God. Thank you for that service. But we want to give a priority to children. We want to care for children. Perhaps you're not gifted or called to, to care, you know, uh, to go, well, that's okay. But you can give a priority to it. The men who serve in our security every week. Hey, you're serving children. You're protecting children. You're protecting them. You're making sure that they're safe. That's serving the church. We want as a church to give more money towards children's ministry. To say, hey, we want to give our time, our resources, and our attention to children. Not just say it. Do it. We want to be willing to change and adapt to the changing culture and the changing um, perspectives and uh, what parents are looking for when they come to a church. Look, if we're doing children's ministry the same way we did it back in 1980, I guarantee you it will not be a success. Millennial parents have a higher standard than you probably did. They're a little whacked out and radical in some of their thinking about child care, i.e. the security. Right? If you've been in church long, I don't remember having security guards in church back in the night, you know, when I was a kid. Even me, I don't remember that. Uh, but, but right, things have changed. And we need to be willing to adapt and change with them to, so that we can be like Jesus here and serve children. Let's move on to the second point. Jesus here elevates children's humility and trust. This is the primary thrust of the passage. Look with me at verse 14. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Right there, verse 15 is sort of the thrust. Jesus takes those children that he has embraced in his arms. He's got them there. He's hugging them. like holding them. Bring them here. Use a little illustration. Remember, Jesus did this once before. If you turn back over in Mark's gospel to chapter 9, chapter 9 and verse 33, Jesus did the same thing. The disciples were, were discussing, you know, how awesome they were. They're like, hey, man, you know, we're really awesome, aren't we? We're like the greatest. We get to, you know, which one's more awesome, right? That's what they were deciding. Jesus, what did he do? He got that child. He brought, took that child and he put it in his midst. Literally, he took it into his arms. He, he had it in his lap. And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And Jesus was using that child as an illustration to teach a spiritual point, and that's what he's doing here. He's using this child to illustrate a spiritual point. He's teaching them the kind of faith and trust, the very thing that the disciples hated about children, the very thing that annoyed them, was the very thing that Jesus took and said, hey, that's what I'm looking for in disciples. The one thing they didn't like, the one thing that got under their skin was those, those stinky, smelly, no good kids that were coming in and bothering their, their prayer meeting and their, their church service and were squealing and talking and carrying on. You know, those, those unbehaved children that, that, you know, people just need, their parents just need to shut up. Right? That's what, that's what that they're annoyed by. It. Jesus says, look, that's who you need to be like. Jesus says and calls us to a, a childlike dependence. What we see Jesus here teaching us is that we are to receive the kingdom the way a child receives a gift. The way a child receives a gift. How, how did, have you ever given a gift to a child and the, and the way they receive it? The way they take it trustingly and without question? I mean, you could be a complete stranger, and oftentimes, if you give a toddler a toy, they're going to take it. They're going to be like, woo, a toy. It's a new toy or, you know, something. They're, they're going to do it without question. They're gonna, they do it without self-importance. They don't say, you know, I deserve that gift. Maybe a teenager does. But, um, but a little kid, you know, they, they don't do it self-importance. They don't say, hey, I deserve that. So we heard in the scripture this morning, brothers, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what the things that are viewed as nothing, to bring to things what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. If you want a good adjective to describe you, weak and helpless and despised. That's what you are. At least that's what the world thinks you are. You're weak, you're helpless, and you're despised. So that you cannot boast in God's presence. We are without self-importance. A child also embraces a gift in a simple humility and trust. They humbly embrace, they simply trust. Peter tells us, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus was looking for his disciples to have the kind of humility and trust a child has. The kind of humbleness a, a child brings. And this is what Jesus is calling for in the gospel. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, this sort of trust and dependency upon Jesus, the way a child trusts and depends upon a parent. And finally, a child 
Embrace is a gift in helplessness. We take gifts because we are helpless. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Gospel is about helplessness and and the fact that we are helpless. Jesus is encouraging disciples to embrace the kingdom of God like a child. Helpless. Children couldn't have a job no more in the first century than they do in the 21st century. They're helpless and dependent upon another to care for them. Well, we need to show the kind of dependency that a child shows toward a parent or a guardian the way, the way that child does. We are to show in God. We are to depend on Him for everything. We see also in Jesus' words. Did you see them? Verse 15, look again. Truly, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but just sort of side note. Uh, when Jesus says truly, um, I know it's kind of trite and uh, kind of KJV only kind of stuff, but uh, verily, verily, right, King James? <laughs> he said, what he's saying is, yo, listen up. Uh, this is important. Uh, you might want to sit up in your seat because what I'm about to say is uh, very, very important. Uh, that's what he's saying, all right? So anytime you come across that, like highlight it, underline it, like Jesus means business, right? Uh, right here in verse 15. Uh, he's saying, not only is there a positive, but there's a negative here, right? And look what he says. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, we just thought about that, look what he says, shall not enter it. Shall not enter it. Now, literally, what Jesus says there is, if you do not embrace the kingdom of God like a child, you will know not never enter the kingdom. Jesus emphatically states here that you will not enter the kingdom of God if you do not embrace it as a child. Now, does that mean that that we are to be childish and immature? No, what Jesus is speaking about here is childlike humility and trust. There's a warning to us. That if we do not embrace the kingdom of God the way a child does, then we will by no means enter it later. You either receive the kingdom of God now or you don't receive it at all. We see in Mark's gospel a tension between the already and the not yet. We see a tension that already we are a part of the kingdom. So what does it mean to receive the kingdom? It means to embrace the radical values which Jesus has taught. So receiving it now means that we enter it later. You receive it now. You, give that, you, you receive that gift. And then later you enter into it. That is, you haven't entered it just yet. It's an already. Not, it's not fully realized Yet, we want to be cautious because we don't want to over-realize the kingdom. It's as, as if right now the kingdom of God is here and present. Sort of, you remember those post-tribulational, you know, post-millennial guys. That's, that's sort of what they think about. Like, you know, things are going to get progressively better as the kingdom comes. It's not what the Bible teaches. 
It's an already and a not yet. But what we see here also is an encouragement to our own souls, a warning, if you will, that if we are not serious about kingdom things, that one day there will be the end and we won't enter. That unless you embrace the kingdom of God through genuine faith and repentance, you will no, not never enter the kingdom of God. A reminder to us about taking seriously the way we are following Jesus. Jesus cares for the helpless. And the question Jesus asks us today is, how do you and I need to show the humility and dependency of these little children. What ways in our lives is Jesus calling you and I today to have the simple faith of a child? Perhaps it's the trust that God will care for you financially. Maybe it's the trust that God will care for you physically. There's a reason why you're physically suffering. That God has allowed it for a particular reason to give His name glory. Will you trust Him through that trial? Perhaps right now you're going through financial difficulty and trial. Will you trust Him through that? The way a child trusts a parent to provide food, shelter. Will you trust Him spiritually as you're through a maybe perhaps a dark time spiritually in your life? Maybe you feel as if God isn't even present. Will you trust that He's there? Will you depend on Him? How is Jesus calling you to trust Him today? To say, I know the kind of God you are. And because of the kind of God you are, because of that you're an all-powerful and all-wise God, an all-good God, I will trust you. And I know that you will never leave me nor forsake me. Brothers and sisters, how are we kingdom profiling in our lives? How are we like the disciples, profiling who's in and who's out? The kind of people that Jesus really wants. Oh, maybe we repent of that kind of behavior. May we see that children are important to the kingdom of God. Have you come like a child today to trust in Christ? To receive Him? Is it His grace plus your nothingness that garners you entrance into His kingdom? It is. It's grace plus nothing. You didn't have to come with anything today to be received into the kingdom of God. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee grace. May that be our prayer this week in our lives. Continually going to Christ. Continually crying out to Him. I'm nothing. I have nothing. I give nothing. You're my everything. May we see that we are nothing and that His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Gracious Father in Heaven, we give You praise and glory. We pray most especially that You would bear fruit in our lives. Oh, Father, may we not hear your word and remain the same, but transform us by your spirit. We trust that your word will not return void, that it will accomplish its purposes.
And Father, we ask this morning that we would grow in our love towards children, the way we care for children. As a congregation, that Lord, that our, uh, we'd, we'd expand our horizons and our, our care and love and, and give more time and attention than what we already do. Father, just again, so thankful for all of these workers who, who work tirelessly every week caring for our children here. Father, as we've been confronted about our profiling, well, I pray that you'd expose ways where we are prejudiced towards others in, in deciding who's in and who's out of the kingdom. Oh, may we see your grace is sufficient to save even the worst of sinner, us. May we see ourselves more and more vile every day, more and more unworthy of the grace we have received. May our nothingness be exposed in our eyes that we may know that we are saved by grace alone in Christ alone. And Father, my prayer today is that those who are hurting and helpless would find compassion, the kind of compassion we saw in Jesus embracing the, the marginalized and the helpless. Father, may we know that you embrace sinners like us. We give you praise and glory in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.